0: Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our epistle reading for today is taken from Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. His letter is a treasure trove of doctrinal truth, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. In Romans, we have a clear expose on law and gospel, on God's holy demands for perfection and holiness, and on the atoning work of Christ on our behalf. Paul was a giant of an apostle. He was hand-picked, as were the other apostles, but his was a ministry to the Gentiles. And Paul went throughout the Mediterranean world, preaching Jesus Christ. He was beat up for his teachings. His opponents tried to kill him, and even left him for dead outside the city of Lystra but he continued on three missionary journeys, miracles performed, a boy raised from the dead, churches planted, pastors trained. Paul writes a good portion of the New Testament. He urges Christians to live lives worthy of the gospel. And when he's aware that his time on earth is short, he writes, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. What a faithful servant of God and bold follower of Jesus Christ Paul was. It may be a little surprising then to hear Paul's confession when he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing when I want to do right evil lies close at hand wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death have you ever taken that kind of look into yourself I know that some of us are much more in touch with our inner selves than others Some of us have conversations with that inner self regularly. I got a postcard once from my inner self. I never responded. It's hard sometimes to take that honest look at ourselves. That just might be because we look through rose-colored glasses. By that I mean that what we wish to see in and about ourselves is rosy. We'd like to take stock and say, My, what a good person I am. Oh, we might say, I have my faults, I know. But all in all, everything looks pretty rosy. And so, as we converse with our inner selves, we both present a fairly rosy outlook. For example, if we have any trouble in a relationship, whether it's a friend or a a co-worker or, or a family member, don't we generally feel that most of the trouble lies with the other person? If they would just try to understand me and see things from my point of view, they'd agree with me. They're not very patient. They shouldn't expect so much they never really did like me. We feel underappreciated, misunderstood, unfairly criticized. We judge circumstances and even other people based on our own criteria and set of rules. We become the lawmaker and the judge. And most of the time, we even fool ourselves into thinking that our judgment of others and of ourselves is pretty spot-on. And then there are the times when our kangaroo court of cards comes crashing down, the door to our inner selves is thrown wide open, and our centered-on-self motivations are laid bare to us, when we recognize that we've really been unjust in our criticism of our brother or sister. When we see clearly that we have lacked patience or not taken the time to understand the other. When we've expected someone to please us. When we've thought only of ourselves. And maybe it shocks us just how ugly our hearts look at those times and our lack of love and empathy and willingness to forgive. They surprise even us and we say to ourselves i don't understand my own actions i don't know why i said that or did that or why i didn't and grief over our sin wells up in us and we say o oh, wretched person that i am and we find that we have a lot in common with the apostle paul who struggled just like we all do with the sin that dwells in our flesh And we say to ourselves, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm never going to act that way again. And then we go right back and do it again. And we have struggled with this for how many years? We grow and mature. And we find that when we should be getting better and better at being able to keep our sinful selves in check, at holding our tongue, at being less self-centered and concerned about our own welfare, we become painfully aware of just how far from perfection, how far from holiness we really are. And we feel like, like a little child who can't stop reaching into the cookie jar, even though he knows he shouldn't. And this becomes such a burden to us We want to do right, but evil lies close at hand, Paul says. And the guilt piles up to match our pile of resolutions. The guilt over our sin can even keep us from praying to God. We don't feel worthy to ask for His help or even to expect that He will listen to our prayers. Why would He hear me when I keep doing what I know is wrong? He tells me to be holy. He gives me His commandments. We imagine God is waiting for us, waiting for us to get it together, to do the right thing, expecting us to be a better person. And we go back and forth, now believing that our faith is fine, now finding that our faith is failing. After all this time, our faith should be mature, stalwart, firm. Instead, we find that we are just children in the faith. And to us children, Jesus says, Come. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." And this is the kind of burden that Jesus is talking about, that what we're burdened with is a heavy conscience. We know the work that the law demands of us, and we know that we're unable to do it. As a husband or a wife, as a parent, as a child, As a brother or sister or or neighbor in our community, we know our failures, how we want to get it right, but we continually fall short, and it weighs on our conscience. We know our sin. And Jesus says, come to me. He promises to give us rest, rest for those who know that their work is full of sin. Rest for those whose conscience is plagued by what they've done or by what they've failed to do. He promises to give rest to those who know they justly deserve His present and eternal punishment, because they know His law and they know they haven't kept it. Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing Paul wants to do what the law requires of him but clearly he finds every day that he cannot do it and just like you and me the evil he doesn't want to do is exactly what he finds himself doing until finally as a man whose conscience is burdened with his sin he has no choice but to say wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death That's the cry of a man who has labored, but who is also heavy laden. It's the sort of person to whom Jesus promises rest, not simply a person who works, not simply a person who has regret, but a person who knows that he deserves nothing but temporal and eternal punishment because of his sin. This is the person who labors and is heavy laden. And to this person, to you, to me, Jesus says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take the work that I am doing to fulfill my Father's will and have it as the work that you are doing. Take my life as your own. Let it be credited to you so that you can rest and not live in fear. That's my yoke. The law is my burden to work at and fulfill so that you might learn from me that I am gentle and lowly in heart, and so that you might find rest for your souls. Take my yoke, the work I am doing on your behalf, and have it as your own. My yoke, given to you, is easy. The burden I bear is light when it is given to you as a gift. And Paul says in response to this, Thanks be to God. Who will deliver me from this body of death? God will. God has. Jesus gives true rest. He gives peace for the conscience that is burdened by sin and lives in terror under the weight of the law. He took all of that. He bore all of that. He died for all of that, so that we might learn from Him that what He wants most of all is to give us the gifts he freely earned so that we might rest in him, so that we might have peace in him. How wonderful, then, to come to worship. Worship is not about work that we're doing to please God. It's not another place for the law of God to heap burdens on us. It is divine service. It is God serving us. Forgiving our sins, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, teaching us about Christ's work on our behalf, and us responding to Him in faith with our thanks and praise. Worship is the time and place where we come with all the burdens of the week and the piles of regret and the sin that plagues our conscience, and we meet Jesus, and we hear from Jesus, and we learn from Jesus and we receive his holy absolution and he feeds us with his own body and blood he gives us the rest that he promises the Apostle Paul's struggle with sin was the same as our struggle and in this life we will never be able to leave our sinful flesh behind to the day we die we will continue to confess our sin to our Heavenly Father and rejoice to receive his full and free forgiveness and find rest for our souls. The day will come when we will have new flesh, incorruptible bodies that will be free of the curse and the burden of sin. And on that day, Jesus will again bid us come, come and enter into your eternal rest, prepared for you from the foundation Of the world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.